I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Adam Pierno, Chief Strategy Officer at Santee and author of Underthink It a marketing strategy guidebook for everyone. To many, Adam might be an unlikely candidate to write a book about strategy, having started his career at a number of different agencies and rising through the ranks on the creative side from production artist to art director to creative director. But I think that's what makes this book even more unique and more special. So if you're a planner, a strategist at an agency, or really just want to understand what those roles should be doing in their day-to-day jobs, maybe you're a client, I think you'll enjoy this interview with Adam. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it'll be a fun conversation, I think. I hope so. so. Well, let's say, let's start off with you. Let's uh, tell me a little bit about your background and how you became uh, Chief Strategy Officer at Santee. Yeah, it's actually a little weird, uh, a little bit of luck and a little bit of just left weird left turns. I came up as a creative and I worked at uh, agencies, bigger agencies in the East Coast. I started at Hill Holiday in Boston, you know, right out of school and had some great creative mentors. And I was actually there 
there when they introduced planning to the agency. Uh, obviously, planning had been around for a while, but in the late 90s, Hill Holiday finally brought in a full team all at once. You know, it was like four or five people they brought in. Um, so it was a crash course uh, from that perspective. Uh, then I got recruited down to Jay Walter in New York, and they already had a very, very uh, well-entrenched planning team. And it was just a different take on it altogether. It was a little bit more authoritative authoritative, I guess, unless the Hill Holiday group had to be more collaborative because it was a creative shop first and they Mm. were brought in. Um, So they were really, they were working overtime to figure out how to create relationships between the two teams. Whereas Mm. uh, Jay Walter was more at that time, it was before um, Ty Montague got there. It was really more uh, assembly line. You know, they were just, the planners just handed off briefs and then they were more or less out of the way after that. So those, those are my first big exposures. I moved out to Scottsdale when I got engaged. Uh, This is where my wife grew up. And I became the creative director at Santee. And we didn't have planning. Gotcha. Yeah. And so at that size, we're 30 people, didn't have any planning. So we had the creative director, who was me. Uh, there was a media director and the account director. We all put our heads together on big projects and became kind of a, a three-headed monster for planning. We would figure <laughs> out how to do research. And, you know, we'd use all, we had a lot of media tools because we, we, we have a big uh, media business unit. And so it introduced me to, oh, okay, I've, I've gotten this information before, but I've never really had control of it. And now I have two really good partners who are willing to, you know, walk with me and figure out how to do it. So that was really my introduction to it by necessity. You know, we knew we needed to have better briefs and better information for the creative teams. Uh, I left Phoenix for a while and moved to Atlanta, uh, where I was uh, working for an agency that had an outpost there. And then ended up working at Verizon in-house, which was just not a good cultural fit for me. Gotcha. Dan Santi, who's the CEO and founder of Santi, hence the, hence the clever name. Uh, <laughs> we, we had always stayed in touch and he said, hey, why don't you know, if you want to come back to Scottsdale, let me know. I'd love to have you back. And so by the time, you know, my wife said, hey, you know, we tried Atlanta. It's not working. I'd love to go home. So I called him and he said, that's perfect, except I just hired a creative director who I really like and I don't need a creative director. What else would you want to do? And I said, well, why don't you write a job description for the thing you think you're missing at new business pitches or, you know, at at our clients. And I'll write a job description for what I want to do because I'm really burnt on creative. And we wrote the same job description. I mean, it was, it lined up perfectly. And it was really this, this uh, chief planner role. And he had one young person who was on the digital side that had an interest in it, but really had no mentorship and didn't know, you know, how to learn it. Um, and now we've got uh, a team of four that are that are doing it, and we're we're moving it through the organization. So that's the long and winding road of how I got from creative to strategy for for the creative people who are wondering how to do it. It's a lot of luck. <laughs> so so in your I just want to make sure I I got it too. So Hill Holiday and JWT were those creative positions or uh, creative and planning? Oh no, yeah, those are pure creative positions. I was an art director. Yeah, I started as a production artist and then I was an art director. Then uh, at uh, Jay Walter I went in as a uh 
senior art director. And that's, I was only there for about two, little over two years. Nice. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely not traditional route, I think. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, congrats on the recent book, Underthink It, um, which is subtitled A Marketing Strategy Guidebook for Everyone. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, you're welcome. I- I've enjoyed reading it. Um, what, what drove the need for that book? Well, yeah. So it's a very strange thing, especially if someone coming from the background I just described to you. But uh, when they made me uh, chief strategy officer, which is a title I never imagined I would have, I just kind of started figuring it out. I mean, I just started flailing my arms and legs and starting swimming because the work had to get done right away. And um, we were we were winning more work and strategy and we we're figuring it out as we go. But about three years in, or yeah, about that, I had a meeting with Dan and he said, hey, how come, you know, what's the training like? How come your team hasn't been trained and what's your plan for that? And I thought, well, I, shit, I, I haven't been, uh, is it okay if I swear or is that no good? Yeah, yeah, we're like cable. Okay. You can do whatever oh, you want. Oh, perfect. All right, good, good, because I have no pants on. So that worked out for me. It's like Cinemax now, yeah. I'm glad we're not in the same room. <laughs> All right. So um, I thought, well... I guess you're right about that. That's fair. But I haven't actually ever been trained myself. So give me a little time to figure this out. And, I, and it's a good request and the team deserves that that commitment from us. So I was a typical planner. I went back and looked at Google and I just thought, all right, this is where I'll start. I'll find some training or something I can send them to. Like I thought, I'll send them to Stratfest and they'll come back totally trained. And you know, I don't have newbies. I have two pretty senior people that have been doing this and figuring it out with me for a while. But so they needed really comprehensive, solid training. And I wanted to find them something where they could take it in the direction they wanted to and not be like stuck into a, you know, just watching videos or something. So I started Googling and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything that had the comprehensive subject matter that I really needed that I thought was important for planners to have. And then I started asking people, you know, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, emailing people and just saying other planners and people I know just saying, Hey, how do you train your team? And they all responded. When you find it, send it to me. I need it you know, we need this so badly. And I thought like, ding, 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 you know, this is a, this is an opportunity. So as I'm looking, I'm bookmarking and copy pasting and watching videos and, uh, you know, just soaking it all in. And I was organizing it as I go, cause I'm super nerd. So I had a Google doc that I was like <laughs> putting it all together. And by the time two weeks were up, it, it was basically the outline for underthink it. I mean, it, it was all the things I wanted to teach my team um, you know, that, that ultimate training course ended up, it's much longer and it's more comprehensive than the book. But if you're reading the book, you could see how, how it kind of sprawls. And I, I really had to work to constrain it and get it down to the tight, uh, book that it, that it ended up being. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating book. And I mean, from, uh, somebody who hasn't played that much on the agency side, I always wondered what the role of a planner or strategist inside an agency was. And it was actually fairly enlightening. Does this this actually clarify it or does it It make it muddier? No, it does. It does. It does. And, and I'm one of those MBAs you talk about in the book. So like, I know, I know. So we get a bad rap, but I say it with reverence. Actually, I say it with respect. Well, I appreciate that, but <laughs> some should get a bad rap, and uh, and others they're 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 on the good side. But um, we'll, we'll leave we'll leave the listeners to figure out which side I'm on. But um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was interesting. You, to your point, it's not defined well. 
anywhere. No. Um, and even the language that's used is so nuanced from time to time. It's, it's hard to even understand what people are saying or what they mean by what they're saying, maybe more, more importantly. Um, so t- tell us a little bit about what the book covers. You don't have to give away the whole thing, but I, I thought maybe it would be helpful just to, for listeners to hear kind of what are the, the, big topic areas that you cover. Yeah, of course. And you know, you you made a very important point that it's the role of strategist, the role of planner, whatever it's even called, and we can't even all agree on a single name for it, right? Um, right. It's so, it's not very well defined and agencies traditionally have been bad at holding on to definitions of critical roles. And if you go from one agency to another, anybody who listens to this that's on the agency side or even worse, on the client side, when you hire a new agency and you say, well, oh, the the producer will do this. And then the producer does seven different things than the producer you worked with at the last agency. We're not great at consistency because people come in, they wear a lot of hats, especially now more than, than when I got started. Somebody who's good at, you know, we take these T-shaped people and we let them stretch into different areas. So especially smaller agencies, the roles get very muddy and people cross over and do things that wouldn't be necessarily in the job description. And and planning is even freakier because there's so much to it that's, you know, research-based or business-based and it can it can take a lot of different shapes. Right, right. But, well, that's a good point, good clarifying point. Yeah, and the, so the book itself, you know, part of the book, the, the first big chunk of it is really about hey what what the hell is a strategist let's let's agree let's talk about what strategy even is uh, and let's get on the same page about why it should be fun uh, and how to do it wrong we we answer that question i think there's a chapter called what doesn't work where it's really short but it's like hey don't do this don't just make big powerpoints people hate that <laughs> i don't know why that became a thing but people do love making 90 slide decks and just being like look at that uh huh it's a work of art <laughs> it is it is so, um, thank you for humoring me. Um, yes, yes. Well, uh, having, you know, back to that MBA thing, we love decks. Uh, I, I've, I've created a phone book or two. In yeah. My life. Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah. I think the key is to, you make them, you can make it 90, de- 90 slides and then figure out what are the 12 slides I need to really tell this story. And if what has to stay in the appendix or, you know, what's really critical, I- I'm good with right. that. Cool. Well, uh, do you think being a, you know, an outsider or this non-traditional planner strategist, did it help you or hurt you in writing the book? Probably both. Uh, it, <laughs> it helped me coming from a creative background, helped me with the discipline to sit down and write a book, uh, and make a plan for, Hey, okay, now I know I'm going to write a book. Here's how I'm going to go about it and how to do it. Uh, having that background in, uh, art direction and kind of managing your own projects, a lot of people start books and never finish them, or a lot of people think about starting a book but never actually start it. This that helped me a lot. It also helped give me a perspective, and I've heard this feedback from the creative people here at Santi. Now that I'm on the other side of the ball, that I I give them briefs that have a perspective that they can sink their teeth into. It's and I encourage my strategy team to be thinking about, hey, we're going to give them a brief. We have to give them a brief they can do something with. So we really do debate. Um, there is a chapter in here on creative briefs. And when I give the brief to a copywriter, that copywriter is going to be desperately scanning that thing for anything they can sink their teeth into, any little put, any foothold they can find. So we have to be really careful. We have to fight over every syllable before we hand it off or even before we present it to them uh, and be willing to hear feedback where they say, okay, I know the single most important point is this, but 
I'm really hung up on this phrase. Well, hold on. Let's that's that phrase is is support. So let's talk about why you jumped right to that. Do you think that's more important? Uh, we get we really try to get to the heart of it and get everybody to uh, debate even the brief as much as we debate creative. You know, let's get the brief perfect and get it right and pr- pr- produce something that gets people's minds really working really fast and in a direction. Right. So you talked about you know as you're trying to figure out how to train other planners, um, you know, copying, pasting, and, and trying to just scour all the sources. Were there sources that stuck out as like really inspirational to helping you crack this book? Oh yeah. I've got a book list that's a mile <laughs> long and I've worked my way through about a third of it. And we have the, what's, what's called the strategy book club where I read the book and then I, um, hand it off and uh, the next person reads it and passes it down. And so it's transcended now that the strategy team is handing them off to the account team and the creative team and everybody's reading these books. Oh, wow. Um, people uh, are like in love with, uh, Ferris's paid attention right now is like, that's a book I read a couple years ago, but they're, they're all finally, it's like reborn in the agency. Everybody's reading it. <laughs> and I found Julian Cole, uh, who was the uh, head of planning at BBDO New York. Uh, I think he just left there, but he had produced some Skillshare classes and it's almost like he posted them and forgot about them, but they were really good. There's one on building personas. And I say that because they're, it looks like they're about four or five years old and he, ne- he did two or something and never did another one, but they're oh, wow. really, really juicy. And, you know, it's just him staring at a camera. It's like almost like a Google hangout style. He does a really solid job of explaining, you know, how he works and how comms planning works. And yeah, there's, there's a bunch of things that rose to the top. And I tried to give credit where I could in the book where I could pin it down to a single individual or a single source. Because, you know, even in, even in this book, there's a bibliography. Read the bibliography instead of my book, man. If you can, if you can handle <laughs> those 12 books, I've posted this on, you know, Twitter and, and a couple of Slack chat rooms that I'm in if you have the time to read those 12 books, it, they're much more comprehensive in total. If you don't, this book summarizes a lot of the ideas there in a way that is more consumable and maybe is a, is a gateway to those. Nice, nice. Well, one of the interesting things I noticed of the book that attracted me, frankly, initially was your striking through of these like large words. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought it was, one, it made me chuckle when I was looking at it. And then like, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I, I probably need to start editing myself because I'm horrible with jargon some days. Um, so why did you do that? And why was it important to keep it keep it in? Yeah. So I that came about through the editors and, and the editors were uh, PR people here who are amazing writers who edited the book for me. Uh, and we did it in a series. So three or four different people took a pass through the book to clean it up. And I I think it was the first editor, Sarah Fleury. She crossed through a couple words and she was like, why are you using this big, these big words? And I actually had already had a chapter in there called Why So Serious that's about you know, the jargonization of strategy and why do we use these big words and the explanation for it, which is really like, basically, we want to sound smart, right? So we, use, we right. hold on to these big words. So that's an ego thing. We want to, as an agency, we want to have proprietary names for things that are very common, but we want to make them sound like they're exclusive to us. Even, you know, how many agencies around the country or the world have a brand wheel or whatever, you know, they have to have a name for it. So that, that becomes jargon. And then in strategy and in research, uh, when we're borrowing from psychology and economics, we're, we're taking a lot of concepts from the academic world 
and from the research world and from psychology. And so those things naturally have these big, complicated words. And we use them because, A, I think some people use them because they want to sound informed and smart. B, some people use them because they can't explain them. So they're just like, well, it's this. But it's but if you can find a, bit, a way to explain it with smaller words, it's so much more impactful to the people listening to you because they'll actually get this understand what the hell you're talking about and be able to tell somebody else. And that's how ideas work when they, when they travel. It, it's not useful for you to tell someone, if I could speak Mandarin and I talk to my kids that way, I might be able to hold their attention, but they wouldn't know what the hell I was saying, you know? Right, right. It's a great, great example. I just, made, example. I just pulled that right out of my hat right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Pollard from um, uh, Mighty Jungle is a, is a guy I've come to come to know pretty well through just Twitter and, and doing some projects with him. And uh, he, he introduced me to this phrase, small words say more. And I just love it. It just tells me everything I believe is, you know, don't use jargon, use little words. People can get their head around them. People can pick them up and do something else with them on their own. And they don't have to keep looking back at you and saying, right, right. This is what you meant, isn't it? It, it sets people free. And so that's really what Underthink It is all about is, is how to give people your idea in a way that they could do something with. I love that. I love that. And that saying from, uh, from Mark, small words, say more. Yeah. That's, a, that's brilliant. He's a smart guy. Well, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, what doesn't work. And there's a chapter about that, a very short chapter, by the way. Um, you know, it gets a lot of attention from our last conversation we had. So tell us what doesn't work. Uh, yeah, as I said, PowerPoint, you know, what I call PowerPoint strategy, just it doesn't get it done. If you're doing something, th this is something I've given talks about, and I, I get a, a head tilt whenever I say this, it's, a, it's rather shocking, but your job is to have influence on the output. Your job is not to, technically, your job is to write a brief. But if you write a brief that the creative team doesn't know how to do something with or can't do something amazing with, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That's you haven't done your job. You haven't influenced the creative in a positive way. If you mm. can't go to a client, so if I can't come to you, Alan, if I can't come to that MBA and speak to you on a level that makes you confident that the strategy is correct and that makes you say, oh, then this creative will also uh, meet the goal that we have, I have failed. If you don't have influence, if you're not doing the job of earning influence, get a new job. Like, And I mean, maybe it's the agency you're at is not supporting you or maybe you should do something else entirely. But the job is not just to fill out a form and write a brief and say, oh, I like blue instead of red. The job is to really 
do whatever work is necessary to have influence and to make clients have faith that you know what the hell you're talking about. And then hopefully the ideas that you bring your clients work and you've earned that trust and it becomes a, a cycle, a virtuous cycle of, of supporting your, your theories. Uh, and the best planners seem to do that over and over again. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I've had a number of CMOs and, and thought leaders on the show and they, a number of them are describing the siloing and I put this in air quotes, the silent siloing of the agency functions. And most notably, uh, my first interview with Bob Hoffman, I don't know if you know him, but oh, of course he knows him. Yeah. Everyone should know him as the ad contrarian. Yeah, that's first, how I, that's how I found your show. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So Bob's a great guy. His first episode I did with him, I've done two now. Um, we went literally function by function in natural Bob fashion. He told me what was wrong with it each of them. But it was, is really this notion, the overall arching notion was the siloing, you know, that, and I just want to see, you know, you've written a book now about the strategic planning function inside of an agency. How do you think strategy needs to work within an agency and maybe even how an agency itself, you know, needs to, to function? I'm just curious. Yeah. That, that question is probably its own, its own episode. Uh, there's probably smarter people than me uh, to, <laughs> to talk about with what the, what the shape of an agency should be. And w that's something I'm thinking about a lot, but I, I don't know if I'm the guy to ask, but the siloing, I can certainly answer, uh, clients buy, especially again, at smaller agencies, you know, under, under 50 clients come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and they want very specific things. So one client may come in and want these three services or these three functions. They just might need somebody to do web banners for them. Somebody might come in and say, I need media buying, but I've only, I only buy radio and outdoor. You know, right. they only want this very specific set of functions. And so for smaller agencies, it creates a problem. And that's where the, that problem is. I have to keep a certain amount of people to service these weird very specific needs. And that's where silos are born, where there's, mm -hmm. okay, now these three people just are here for this one weird function and they don't interact, integrate with the rest of the company because there's no crossover between what they're doing day to day versus what, you know, the rest of the agency is doing or what other clients want. Strategy is uh, best when it's integrated. And that really comes from encouraging strategists to be normal and sit with people and <laughs> it, because it is an academic thing and it right. is it, the best strategists though live life and are very are able to either be outgoing or overcome introversion i'm a little bit of both i, I can kind of be an introvert and just want to sit in a corner and listen with headphones or sometimes i'll just get real ammed up and want to be social uh, but you, when you're social, the work is better. When you're out there talking to people, seeing movies, living life, that's inspiration seeps in. So the same thing in the office. If the more you can mix people, I'm not a big believer that the creative team should sit on one side of the building and the, the rest of the staff should sit on the other. The more you can mix people, it causes some stress because you're you're not all together. But it's better when the media person and a strategy person and a a social content writer and an art director are all near each other and can, can cross pollinate ideas. I just think it's better for the clients and for everybody. I like that. I like that a lot. So let's take that a little bit step further. Cause you talk about media in the book, you know, as you, I think it was, um, and not to pick on any specific agency, but there are agencies out there 
I think you mentioned early on that, you know, that kind of it's an assembly shop, right? You get the strategist does their role or the planner does their role. They pop the brief over the other side of the wall, creative does theirs. And then next thing you know, pops out on the other end and media needs to go get placed and planned and, and executed against. Yep. And so a lot of times I, I've run into, you know, planners and strategists that, you know, media is the furthest thing from what they're thinking about at the moment. How do you think a strategist should be influencing and or just thinking about media as they're doing their job? Don't, do you not think it's crazy that somebody that's at the top of the funnel thinking about the strategy wouldn't be thinking about where people are, would experience the communication? Isn't that nuts? It is nuts. It is nuts. But I've, I, I know you've probably seen it too, but they, this, I think what the attraction is, is to figure out that like key human truth or insight. And they spend so much time on that, but they forget about who are those people and how do they experience the world around them? <laughs> right. It's, and it's um, important. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I, consuming media is probably, I don't, it never shows up on a test or a test on a list of hobbies. Like they're, watching TV is not something people are like, oh, that's my favorite thing to do. But the, consuming media one way or another is everybody has that same hobby. It's just different media that they consume. It's really important for somebody who is thinking about that single most important human truth that we're trying to get to, to figure out either A, how could it best be communicated or how could it best be intercepted or how could we use media to play off of it? And I put the chapter in there specifically because to come full circle in our conversation, when I was in the, that role of creative director with the media director who we were working together as the planning team, that was when I saw, oh shit, okay, here's here's the potential, here how this, here's how all these things work together. Uh, and we were pulling data from MRI and Scarborough and all these tools that's why I thought as I was writing this book, you know, I better put something in here about media and what we can learn from it. And this this will get dated fast. I mean, I talk about the specific roles of media today and how they work together um, from my somewhat naive perspective of just uh, strategy and executing campaigns at one agency here. But that, that'll be something if there's a second printing of this thing that I'm sure I'll have to update right. because, because media is changing so much every day. That's cool. Well, what tips would you give clients in working with their agency? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I would say one thing that does not happen. Have you ever? I'm sure you've heard of this uh, phrase, radical candor. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. We there's a weird lapse in just brutal honesty out there. Where I don't know if if clients are afraid of being the bad guy or they don't. They don't um, know how to communicate what they're looking for or what their goals are, but it's find an agency that you can be honest with, that you are comfortable enough with the team, that you can tell them what you think, tell them what your goals are, so it doesn't get to that point where you freak out and and uh, have a nervous breakdown. That's that's <laughs> the big tip. Tell them what you want and tell them what your expectations are up front. And tell them what your goals are. Tell them how you get your bonus. The agency will will run in the direction right. you want them to run if you tell them. And if they if you don't tell them, that's when you get stuff that's either way off the mark or here's 20 options, Mr. Client, because we're not really sure but we want to make you happy. And clients hate that. They don't want to see 20 options in the most from in most cases, they want to see three really great ones that all meet the brief in different ways. Right. All right. Well, that's great advice. So what advice would you give other strategists inside agencies? Open a car wash. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I've thought about doing that, but I don't think it's yeah. for me. 
uh, go experience life outside of agencies as much as you can. A lot of the books that I read are, you know, not, not agency books, uh, read fiction to get inspired, read nonfiction to get inspired, find your own sources of, uh, inspiration and don't be afraid to follow them. And, and the other thing that I, I've learned recently is strategists, a lot of them have like a secret artist trapped inside. Don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Figure out ways to express that, even if, if it's for yourself. You know, have a sketchbook and doodle in it or, or make music if that's what you want to do and, and get that out. You know, get that out. It really does help your, your flow throughout the day uh, when you feel fulfilled in that way. Very cool. Well, stepping back or changing gears entirely... I love to talk about get to know the person that I'm talking to. And I think listeners enjoy this segment as well. So I'd love to start off with a question I I love asking other people, which is, you know, is there an experience in your past that you think has defined or made up who you've become as a person? I think you have an idea of what your career will be. I think an experience that I had was when I went to college, my dad had the same job, you know, through my entire young life. Uh, And then when I went to college, he changed jobs. He went from uh, running an x-ray department at a hospital to the sales side. And he got a job with a big company selling x-ray equipment to to hospital units. And Mm -hmm. watching him thrive in that role, well, I didn't register it then, but I register it when you asked me that question, it registered for me that there's always a second act or a third act. To me, career was always very linear, you know, especially as a creative person and especially at big agencies like I started in, you could see the track and I want to get to where that guy is. I want to be in that chair uh, and I want to be the one that, you know, has the the coffee brought to me and has the tantrum and everybody thinks it's great. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, that's not who I am, but uh, it, it was fun to watch for a little while. But uh, realizing like, oh yeah, it, career doesn't have to be that way. Watching my dad have that second act and totally crush it. I mean, he was never a sales guy. That He didn't have sales training. He was, it was a totally different thing. It was just based on his expertise in the act of, of x-ray and through all the things he knew that he really succeeded. That registered to me as this big moment where when I realized he was on the President's Club or whatever it was called, like five years in a row, it's like, oh yeah, I can go be great at something else. Now I'm still in the same industry, but um, should I get washed out of this industry? It's like, I have the confidence to know I can figure out something else that I can do as well. That's great. That's a great, great story. Little did you know, we have x-ray threads that go through our, um, through our backgrounds. What? My Tell mom me. was, a, my mom was a, uh, x-ray technician. So she takes x-rays. She oh, still yeah. does. That's yeah. what he, he yeah. that's how he came up. That's how he came up. Yeah. Too. He did that for like that's 20 fun. years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's still going at, today but she loves it she loves it so that's that's funny yeah well so going a little bit further you know what fuels you what drives you every day i i I still have that creative thing uh where i know things can always be better uh i think much sometimes it's a detriment but uh sometimes it's discouraging to people around you where you're kind of never satisfied uh i've learned over the years to celebrate victories but I, I know things can always be better. You know, somebody, we just had somebody leave the agency and that, that somebody, you know, got another job and left and people were like, oh, we really love her. She's awesome. And, and she is awesome. But I always believe we're going to replace them with someone better and not necessarily better at their job and not necessarily cooler and not necessarily better in the mold of that person, but they'll bring something different. You know, if we do something really great and we win an award, I think, well, next year we could probably win 
we could do something a little bit better than what we did. You know, it's not, there's no end game. There's no finish line. I think, uh, maybe it was Tracy Wong that said there's no finish line. And I really believe that. So what fuels me is always figuring out a way to do it better next time. It's, it's not kicking the work we've done. It's just, okay, that was done. It's behind us. Now we got the same assignment. How are we going to do that assignment better this year? That's great. Well, so are there brands or companies or causes that you, you think other people should be taking notice of? You know what? We just, we just started working with a company that I think is awesome. It's called Muwala, and it is a uh, milk substitute, and it's all plant based. So it's it's almonds, it's bananas, and it's delicious. And they came to us as a semi established brand already. So they have this really great logo. They have this really great look and feel. Packaging's really cool. They've got distribution up and running. That's a brand I think people should start paying attention to because we're just getting involved, and I, I I'm really pumped to see where we're going to uh, take that brand. That sounds really cool. I'll have to check them out and see if they they have distribution where I am. Well, I was super skeptical uh, when I when I met with them and uh, I met them at a like a consumer show where they were they were exhibiting. I I had a sample and I was real. I was expecting to be like I was meeting with the. I didn't realize it at the time. It turns out it was the CEO exhibiting because he likes to see the feedback, and <laughs> and I was really expecting to spit this thing out because I just thought, what is plant based milk substitute? What am I getting into? And I was like, holy shit, this is good. This is really good. And so I stood there, I think I talked to him for a half hour. And then he was like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And I was like, oh yeah, right. I'm selling things here. And he's like, oh, me too. Great. (laughs) And then, you know, the rest is history. Nice. Well, uh, so last question for you. Um, You have to get your crystal ball out. Um, Where do you you think the future of marketing is going to go? I hope it doesn't look like Black Mirror, but I'm afraid it will. <laughs> <laughs> What's the episode with uh, with Nosedive, I think, is the episode with uh, oh. Bryce Dallas has, ha- uh, Howard, where she's getting negative reviews everywhere she goes and she has a nervous breakdown? Oh, man. I haven't watched that show, and I'm not sure I want to now. <laughs> if you do, I would start with Nosedive uh, just for the reference. and it, it's okay. pretty, It's pretty enjoyable. It's a little bleak. Um, It helps to have bourbon with you when you watch it. (laughs) What is the future of marketing? I think the future of the whole personalization and pumped right into my eyeballs or my bloodstream is is overblown. I think it's going to happen and people are going to, some marketers are going to use it. It's going to be more right for some than others. But I I believe, I just uh, wrote an article about this for Brand Quarterly with voice coming on and, and that'll be the next big frontier through you know, the Echo and through the Google Assistant and through Siri on your phone and cars will be next to actually implement those in a way that's more useful. Um, Mm -hmm. Brand awareness is going to make a big comeback because Mm. if I'm only speaking out loud to, you know, Alexa, do this. There's a video by, uh, uh, what's his name? Professor Joel Galloway, uh, who's super, super smart guy. That's a great book, uh, The Four. You should, uh, your listeners should go get that book. He does this example with the Alexa and he says, Alexa, I want batteries. And so Amazon uh, feeds Alexa the answer and it says, I have Amazon batteries and you can have a 12 pack or a 30 pack and I can have them, you know, you're a prime customer, so you can have them tomorrow. And he says, no, no, any other brands, I can't find any, she says. Now, (laughs) I know that there's 15 other brands of batteries, right? Right. Well, Amazon doesn't want to sell you those. So if I can't think of the name of that brand, if I don't say Duracell or Energizer to my Google Assistant, then I'm lost. And 
right now, you know, we, we did some research a couple of years ago with, um, the dining decision. Cause we, we have a lot of, uh, brands that come to us with the, in the, uh, multi-unit restaurant space. And we said, how, how long in advance do you think about where you're going to go to dinner? And I think 20% said five minutes or less, you know, before I make the decision, 17% of people said, I don't think about it at all. Not a second. I just get in the car and we go somewhere. <laughs> so, so if you're not, if, if there is no brand awareness, you cannot be considered. If there's no thinking, if it's out of habit that people get in the car and decide whether to make a left turn or a right turn, and they just kind of go out of habit. If there's no brand awareness for Olive Garden, I can't make that subconscious decision to choose you if I just don't know you're there. So I, I believe we're going to see a return to it. And I don't know what the form will be because mass media is, is shrinking every day. Good advice. Good advice. And I, I, think, I think you're right. I think you're on to something. It's very um, Byron Sharp of you. Uh, uh, I, I've read that one too. Yeah, <laughs> only the first one though. Yeah, it's a good book. It's a good book, and the second one's good too. Yeah, I'm gonna um, have to get that one. Yeah. Well, uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was enlightening. Oh, uh, this was awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Marketing today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Marketing Today.